0: Welcome to The Building Doctor Show with Jens Johansson.
1: Okay, okay. Welcome everybody to The Building Doctor Show. I am your host, Jens Johansson, and I'm glad to see you here today to learn more about your building. The uh, Today we're going to talk about claims, claims and litigation and fighting and stuff, but we're going to talk about how to... Stay out of it, and how to avoid it, how to dance around it. But when, not not if, but when it hits, how it's not really that stressful, and how we can we can help you walk through that. So today, our guest is Jason Gross, an attorney uh, from the office of Vile Fotheringham out of Oregon. So, Jason, say hello to the crowd.
0: All right. Hi, everybody. And uh thank you, Jens, for having me. I uh I love that you found the single scariest picture of me that I that we have uh <laughs> to talk about litigation today. It's so funny, our law firm pictures that uh, they found the one picture of me not smiling or laughing. Um uh, it's, it's, so it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's my it's my frown, yeah, exactly. <laughs> my uh my game face. Um So I'm Jason Gross, and I'm a partner with VF Law, Vile Fotheringham, uh, out of the LACO, Oregon office. And I represent condominium associations and homeowners associations for a living. I represent several hundred, all shapes and sizes, big uh, steel and glass high-rises, tiny two, three, four, 10, 20-unit condos. Master plan communities with clubhouses, golf courses, amenities, and everything in between, big or small. Um, and I do both um, general counsel work and litigation.
1: And on okay. the litigation, oh, go oh, ahead. Right,
0: yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, on the litigation side of things, um, you know, I defend boards that get sued for various things, fair housing issues, architectural review disputes. I do some insurance coverage work when we have an insurance carrier that either doesn't want to cover a claim or isn't handling your claim the way they should be. Um, And actually where I met Jens was doing construction defect litigation. We've used Jens and his company as expert witnesses in those sorts of cases. Um, So that's a little bit about me and my background.
1: Yeah, cool. Yeah, and it and again, you know, it's not <clears throat> what, the, what the genesis of the show is about is there's lawsuits around associations and condos. And Jason, you brought up some of that of sometimes boards have to sue residents, sometimes residents sue boards, sometimes neighboring boards sue each other, sometimes master, master communities and in, in what do you call the you know, joint community, you know, there's the master association and then. Oh yeah. The master support. and sub association. Sub associations. And so, so we wanted to, I guess one of the things I see on, on my board clients face is, oh no, I'm going to get deposed. I don't know what to do. I'm freaking out. And it's like, it's okay. It's not as bad as you think it is. And you know, it's not, not as scary as you think. And so we're just, we're Jason and I are here today to answer, you know, Answer some of these questions about it. Talk about some of the basic things of you know discovery. What's discovery? You know what's attorney-client privilege. What's what's litigation versus claim, and so just everything around that. But also give you you know some of the current trends we're seeing. And and you know there's when everybody realizes condominiums can be litigious, and and we're just kind of seeing that rise a little bit. And so our goal here is to keep you out of trouble. And For attending today, attending live today, this is the live Q&A, so you get to ask us questions. So get those questions that you have started into the Q&A, first come, first serve. The chat box is used for more uh, putting links in and things like that, and Ben, the producer, will help you do that. But while we're talking about this, we're going to run a little poll, see who's here, and... The, uh, let's see what's going on. Who are audiences? What we like to do is tailor some of these things. And I am missing the poll button. Where is the poll button? Used to be polls. There we go. Separate poll. Launch. There we go. Okay. It's in a little different place. Uh, So while that's running, we will go over to Disclaimers. As you know, there's two disclaimers on the show. First one, put away your credit card. We're not selling you anything. It's a free show. And so that dovetails into the second one. The disclaimer is this is educational content only. We are not giving you legal, financial, engineering advice. We're just kind of two dudes on the internet trying to help you out. Uh, we've seen, we've worked with a lot of boards and we've seen what worked and we've seen what didn't work. And so we want to help share that. And in the hopes that it benefits you. So let's get back to...
0: I love it when someone other than me gets to give the disclaimers. That was great, Jens.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. got to have disclaimers. Okay. Let's go back to polls. We got to find it again. Okay. We're going to end the poll. We've got a lot of people out of Washington today. So... Okay. Jason, where are you registered? You're registered to practice law in Oregon, but VF has offices in Washington, Oregon, Arizona, Utah. Yeah, Oregon. we're a
0: multi-state firm. I practice in Oregon and Washington. Okay. Uh, we have offices in Idaho and uh, Arizona, Denver, Colorado, Arizona. We do work in New Mexico. We're all over the place. Western United States.
1: Western okay. United States. Cool. But I'm
0: Oregon and Washington.
1: Okay, Excellent. So let's see some more poll results. I'm a board member. I'm a condo association resident. We're getting it from the newsletter. Have you been through a big repair project? Yes. 75% of you have been through a big one. So, okay. That's cool. We got board members and uh, those who those who wanted to fill that out, I should say. So, okay. Cool. Well, maybe we should talk about repair projects a little bit too we've got countless episodes on repair projects we're going to oh, be okay. this is episode 21 we're approaching 2 years and uh with the interest and the level of you know level of sharing and commenting and good questions we think we're hitting a good good spot there's lots of there's lots of good feedback on this and that that's also an important thing let's talk about you guys the audience are our marketing budget so give us that five star review give us a thumbs up you know share it share it with your board share it with your friends but those good algorithms with the five star reviews and the shares really help a help encourage us to produce more and B help the algorithm algorithms help uh, you know push it out there so you guys are the five star you know or you guys are the marketing budget I should say. If you want to leave a one star, you know, just turn it off and go watch something else. So, but five star, five star, you guys will help us. Uh, Anyway, stick around for the live Q&A at the end. We'll answer as many questions as we can. We try to stick to an hour, but, uh, you know, we will always add, roll over other questions. And then stay tuned. You'll see contact information for both Jason and I. If you have questions, Jason's agreed to answer your questions and take your calls. and, And I can do that too. So, Ben, the producer is monitoring the chat, and Jason and I will look into the Q&A panel at the end of the show, and we're also doing a little giveaway. Jason, you've got a little giveaway of swag of some sort. Yep. True. Yep. Great. So, we got two winners today. Okay. Let's jump into the show. Here we go on the agenda. So today's agenda, like we kind of talked about, but how we're shaping this for you, you know, claims and litigation process understanding, two different things. Uh, How to stay out of them, of course, some proactive things. Um, Really understanding who makes decisions and how these decisions are documented and where they live. And then, you know, ultimately you're going to have meetings. So how to control that town hall brawl, we call it. Um, and then giving you some actual scenarios and pitfalls that we're we're seeing currently and how you can just learn from others. So there's really about four or five things you need to do to stay 99% of the time out of trouble. And so your time is well invested today. Let's learn from others' mistakes, and we will help you through that. Okay, first thing, claims 101. Kind of understanding discovery. So, Jason, what's what's discovery mean in legal terms?
0: Well, the simplest way to explain it is after a lawsuit, or any, or it could be an arbitration. Right? When we talk about litigation, um, that could be in court, and with the ultimate end being a jury trial, or it could be an arbitration using one of these private arbitration services like american arbitration association or arbitration service of portland Mm -hmm. and the big difference between those two tracks is um, the folks that decide your case at the end of an arbitration are either an arbitrator who's uh sometimes they're retired judges sometimes they're practicing attorneys um but that's the person or if it's a large enough dispute three people Mm -hmm. That will decide your case, whereas in a court, either a judge or a jury or sometimes both are going to decide your case. But in both of those tracks, um, there's a process called discovery. And simply put, that's where both sides learn about the other guy or gal's case. Right. and discovery takes a variety of forms. Right, you mentioned depositions. Right, depositions are where one attorney gets to depose or interview on the record while a court reporter is ta- taking down all the questions that are asked and all the answers that are provided. You know, for a formal record, mm-hmm. um, that's one form of discovery. Another form of discovery is documentary discovery. Right, we send what are called requests for production back and forth.
1: So that's a subpoena, is that?
0: Well, subpoena is a little different. Subpoena is is when you um, request records from a non-party to the litigation. Oh,
1: see, I learned some.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Yeah, and subpoena power, by the way, is the only real power that attorneys have, right? You file a lawsuit, you can uh, send a subpoena to a third party that has information about the case. So like, for example, I've had construction defect cases where I was suing a contractor and the owner of the contractor's company was deceased. Mm -hmm. And the only person that had records was a former employee of a company that had been wound up and the owner of that company was deceased, but this person had emails or they had invoices or they might've had a construction contract somewhere. And so I would send a subpoena to that third party. And when you get a subpoena, you really have to respond to that because if you don't, you can be held in contempt of court. Um, so that's the, that's the real power that attorneys have, subpoena power. Um, you can also send a witness subpoena, right? So when we try a case, um, you may have somebody that isn't a plaintiff, the person bringing the suit, or a defendant, the person being sued, um, but they have testimony that is really important to prove your case. And so you can send a witness subpoena as well. Okay. So are part of discovery. They could be for documents. They could be for testimony. They could be for both um, discovery. A lot of uh, a lot of the documentary discovery these days is emails, electronic records, text messages. I assume we're going to talk about this, but your text messages are discoverable, and just because you did not delete, just because you deleted them from your phone. Do not assume that they can't be gotten because they can.
1: <laughs> that's why that's why every every movie star involved in litigation loses their phone. Something happened.
0: <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Well, but you can subpoena their cell phone carrier. So, yeah. you know, I've had this happen where I've been taking somebody's deposition and I'm like, what's your phone number? And they answer the question. And I say, Is that a landline or a cell phone? 98% of the time it's a cell phone.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So, so as far as I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but discovery is really part of litigation. It's not part of insurance claim. And so that's, that's one of the big differences in the next slide. We'll get into a little bit of definition, but if we, if we just, if we're mad at the contractor and we're the board and we want the contractor to come back and fix, and we've hired Jason and his firm to, you know, to be, be a lawyer and write him a mean letter, We don't get to do subpoena and depositions until we file a lawsuit, correct? That's right. Right. So if it stays in this insurance claim business or insurance claim, it's just a a claim against their insurance policy, just like your car accident would be. I've got now, to, you know.
0: an important caveat there though. So <laughs> when you when you open up a claim with your insurance company, um your insurance agreements just a contract between right. you and the insurance company. It could be a property insurance policy, it could be a liability insurance policy, whatever. But the insured has a duty to cooperate with the insurer, the insurance right. company, um in evaluating and investigating the claim. So you're if, like for example, if you have a multi-unit water loss mm-hmm. and the insurance adjuster is doing their thing to figure out who's responsible and what part for the loss, you as a condo board member have an obligation to cooperate with the insurance adjuster. And if they request certain records, you've got to provide those records. So gotcha. just so that's, clarification.
1: Kind of like a subpoena, but it's more of a contract obligation.
0: Yeah. Well, and the risk is if you don't cooperate, they could deny coverage. Bingo. Bingo.
1: Okay, so let's let's stay on this slide. So discovery is a is a stage of litigation. So if you're not in litigation and we'll we'll get to those definitions, you'd not you don't, you know, get their documents from. Well, I can't because you can't. So there's pros and cons. You can't and so kind of defining those blocks. But what's what's attorney client privilege? When I'm when I'm working with boards and and you know, they say, "Well, I've got this privilege. I've got this attorney client privilege." What is that? Well,
0: so attorney-client privilege is an evidentiary rule Mm -hmm. that protects the client from having confidential communications with their lawyer being introduced to prove that they were liable at trial. So the easiest example of this is Law & Order, right? Or Better Call Saul or whatever your Mm -hmm. favorite, you know, uh, crime drama legal show is – you know, when Saul Goodman goes into the little breakout room with his client that got caught, you know, selling methamphetamine or stealing a car or whatever, you know, he can, the client can speak frankly with Saul Goodman or, you know, whoever the attorney is um, and get advice. And that advice is not discoverable Mm -hmm. and it's not admissible at, at trial. So the other side doesn't get to hear the advice that you give your client or that you as the client, you know, solicit from your attorney. It gets a little more complicated when you're talking about a condominium association because condominium associations are corporations. They're not, I mean, there's the myth of corporate personhood, but they're not people. It's not like, you know, I'm your client, you're trying to get me out of this, you know, stealing a car charge. So in a corporation, the attorney-client privilege generally runs between the attorney and the board, and the manager, as a managing agent of the association, is swept up in that privilege. So the manager can hear the advice without waiving the privilege.
1: Right. So the manager has some kind of fiduciary duty to the board, and so they're kind of acting as the... Is that what pulls it in, or is it... Well, it's is, a contractual...
0: Yeah, it's it's an agency relationship. And the we could let's not get into whether it's a fiduciary relationship or not, because it's contractual, but they the manager is swept up in the attorney client privilege. Yeah. And why that matters is because you can waive the privilege if privileged advice is communicated to some third party. Right. So, Um, Jen's is my client and I'm his lawyer and I write him an opinion letter saying this person that's suing you on a fair housing claim the you know the claim's pretty strong in these three parts it's weak in these other three parts well if you take that letter which is a privileged communication and then you share it with your neighbor that's not on the board then the homeowner that's suing the association could argue that the privilege is waived and once it's waived arguably all the advice that I provide to Jen's could be discovered by the third party that's suing the association. So it's important to preserve the privilege and not communicate privileged advice to a third party because you, and the policy behind this is we want people in our legal system to have access to good advice and we want people to be able to discuss whatever the problem is frankly, with their lawyer. We want people to have good legal representation. But in a condo board context, you know, we use things like executive session to preserve the attorney-client privilege. So, you know, if I'm defending the HOA in this fair housing claim and the homeowner that's suing the HOA comes to a meeting and is insisting on know a a particular parking space right there you know i need a handicap space you know i have a mobility impairment and there's a lawsuit going on and by the way it's not just the attorney client privilege doesn't just trigger after the lawsuit is filed it's also in anticipation of litigation so if you suspect that a lawsuit is going to be filed the privilege kicks in then so if you know the attorney gives you advice you know, a month before the lawsuit's filed, but you've already received a demand letter. The privilege uh, kicks in, you know, before the lawsuit is filed.
1: Right. Um, so I wanted to wanted to bring that up specifically when we're when we in a consulting role or meeting with you, the board, and and your attorney. Maybe your manager's there. Maybe they're not. We understand as a consultant that you have attorney-client privilege with your lawyer. And so there's meeting portions of meetings where you don't do you want us to leave the table and stand outside because this is this is privileged information and rolling into that second bullet. Don't send us privileged emails. Hey, I'm forwarding on an email to you from the attorney so you can see what they said. Ah, you've just you've just broken the attorney client privilege. So. So as, as board members, really respect that and understand what that attorney client privilege is and, and ask your attorney about it. How how do you want to handle this? How do you want to do this? And after working with so many of them, they're just like, don't use email, don't use text, call me. You know, yeah, and that's
0: call me. That's more important in Washington than Oregon, by the way, because right. in Oregon, we have trial by ambush and there's actually an expert witness privilege. We don't have to do expert discovery, but in Washington. Um, you do have to do expert disclosures. So if Jen's got a bunch of privileged emails in his file from the uh, attorney, there's mm-hmm. a risk that you just waive the privilege. Right,
1: right. So moving on, the you know the meeting minutes and historical files full of proposals and reports. Here's here's what I mean by that. You know your meeting minutes are a documentation of of the meetings, and they're a document, and they're they're minutes, not hours, and so. We just have a quick summary of what was, this was voted on, this was approved, this was done, this was discussed, and this is tabled, this is pushed to there, decision goes here, done. It's not not a big written, you know, diatribe about what happened. Um, but then you also, you know, that that's where it's recorded. And so we're going to, the other side is going to be looking into that discovery. You guys have been talking about this for three years. It's in your meeting minutes. Why, you know, you can't. Say you just found out about this. And so be cognizant of what you put into your meeting minutes, but then also understand what's in your file. Because if it gets subpoenaed or a document share, you know, between the other side, well, you've been talking about this leaky roof for the past 10 years. And actually you've got roof bids from nine years ago and eight years ago and seven years ago. Why did you get a bid if you didn't think you were going to do the work? You 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 thought you were going to do the work, so you went and got a bid, but you never signed it. Why didn't you sign it? Well, we didn't know the money. Okay, there's a reason. So there's a story. So watch out for that historical file full of these things. Cause then we get into some timing. And so that that's a that's another piece of you've you've known about this for how many years? And some statute of limitations or some tolling things have already run. And so just be careful about what is in your file not just a big shoebox full of random things and notes and things make sure your file is clean make sure it's accurate um you know that that comes and then it comes down to the bottom bullet consider having a retention policy you know and we talked to a lot of boards and I said don't don't we have to save things forever eh, no no it's up to you you know so now jason what's your lawyer perspective on a retention policy of I think
0: think it's a good thing to have, Um, you know, what I was going to say, this is just kind of a practical pointer, but minutes are the corporate record of the decisions that the association made. And what Jen said is exactly right. Minutes should be minutes. They're not hours. Who is at the meeting? What motions were made? Record whether the motion passed or not. But minutes are often one of the most important exhibits in a lot of cases that an association would get involved in. Mm -hmm. And when I'm sitting next to a condo board member that's being deposed, doesn't matter whether it's a construction case or whether it's an owner suing the HOA or whether it's the association suing an owner for some rules violation issue. Oftentimes, the opposing attorney trots out the meeting minutes and says, hey, look, I see right here that you were at this meeting. Can you tell me about this discussion point? Well, here's the thing about minutes. You have a lot of control over what goes into those minutes, right? You got to record the decisions, but you don't need to record every single discussion point that's made. Mm -hmm. And you certainly don't want to record anything that's discussed in executive session because you run the risk of waiving privilege. So I have a lot of associations when there's a pretty nasty piece of litigation, you know, the secretary takes the minutes, they're not approved until the next meeting the following month. A lot of a lot of my clients send me the minutes and are like, "Jason, are you okay with what we said here? Are we waiving privilege?" and I say, "No, this is good. Um, but you have some control about, over what goes into those minutes. You you got to document the decisions, you got to document who's there, but you have some control. The retention policy, you're gonna get different answers from different lawyers about this. I'll, I'll just tell you what I think. So it is great to have a records policy and a records policy is actually broader than a retention policy, because you will have owners that for whatever reason make repeated and voluminous requests for records. And we're seeing a lot of this right now, you have an owner. They don't like that you didn't approve their architectural review application. Or they're aggrieved because you didn't give them the parking spot they asked for. And one of the leverage points that they use is they torment the manager or the board members by making, you know, they ask for the last, you know, 10 years worth of minutes. Or every contract between the association and any landscaping country, I just a company, I just had this in a case where the whole dispute was over landscaping. And um you not only want to have a rule about how long you keep records, but you want to have a rule over who pays for gathering the records mm-hmm. and producing yeah. them Yep, because it creates an incentive for an owner that's making these voluminous records requests really just to harass or annoy you, sure. not because they have an earnest interest in seeing the records. If they got to pay for it, they're only going to ask for the stuff, that they really want to see. And it's going to save you managers a lot of time and you board members a lot of heartache. So Mm -hmm. I think you should have a retention policy, but you should also have a records inspection policy. And I just kind of do the two as one. Gotcha. In terms of keeping records, you know, the minutes, I would say keep those forever. If you have as built construction plans, or even if you just have permit plans, keep those forever. Because Jen's, How often do you, does a client say, Hey, we have a 40 year old condo, we have deferred maintenance and you're like, well, do you have any plans? And they usually don't, but that would be helpful to you. I'm just guessing.
1: (laughs) Super helpful. And it's just, yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah. Thanks for clarifying on the retention and the records. There's some things that, yeah, you really want to keep a lot of, and I'm I'm not advocating throwing things away to hide. I'm actually advocating the other thing of you do want the, we did talk about this. Here was the decision at the time. We, del- we elected not to pursue that. Here's why. It shows reasonable business decisions that a group is making, or we, we got an opinion from so and so. This We consider this dead. We consider it put to bed for a couple of years. This is why we didn't, why didn't you work on that? Well, here's, here's exactly why. And so really supports your position. And-
0: Financial stuff, you're supposed to keep for seven years. I have a lot of clients that keep it for 10 and some that keep it forever. Um, That's really more of a CPA question. But seven years, I believe, is a safe rule of thumb. Mm -hmm. And, you know, policies, board policies, you should keep those forever or until they're superseded by a future policy change.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the other the other comment there, emails and inboxes and phones, you know, just our tip there is consider consider a board account versus your personal account. You know, it's just I'm going to conduct board activity through president at, you know, leaky towers. Happy dot, condo, Yeah. Com, yep, yeah. At gmail.com. And that way you can it's, it's also a choice to I can choose to go into my business of running the board. And I'm not getting pinged by all these board questions when I'm looking at my personal email or at work or whatever. And if there is a discovery thing, you know, sometimes that inbox is subpoenaed and now they have all my life as well as my board activities. So also,
0: don't use reply all, use BCC. I can't tell you, Jen's, with. I was uh, doing a large deferred maintenance repair project with one of your clients. You didn't work on it. Your colleague Ryan Paddock worked on it and this community had about 40 homeowners and they would, there was a board recall and the instigator of the board recall because they were using reply all email. He had the email addresses for everybody in the HOA and he was filling up people's inboxes with two, three, six venomous emails a day, use BCC. (laughs) (laughs) It'll save you a lot of heartache. (laughs) Good
1: tip. All right, let's get on to the next one here. So definitions, we kind of talked about this. You know, we talk about this kind of in claim versus litigation and, and claim can be an insurance claim. It can be an allegation or issue that may become litigation. But right now it's it's Look, two parties are coming together and they're trying to figure this out. And maybe there's an insurance policy that'll help them. And maybe, you know, don't sue me. We, we don't have to go that far. We could can, also we can, be a work bully complaint,
0: this. could also be a bully complaint, like a okay. fair housing type issue. There are some okay. state agencies that administer those. That's another type of claim.
1: Complaint. Okay. Yep. Um, and so then litigation or lawsuit, and that's, that's really triggered by filing paperwork with the courts, right? It's, or one either, of the arbitration
0: either, services. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So is it, well, is it arbitration litigation? Yes. Yes. Okay. Great. It's just so, not in
0: court. It's, it's in a private venue. Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. So why we're, why we have that in there is that, you know, we'll see. We'll be working with an association. And they're trying to. Both parties are trying to work things out, and you'll get the rumor mill going of, "Well, I can't sell while this litigation is going on, or I can't possibly refinance while this litigation is going on," and that's just not true. We're not even in litigation, and so you know, you know, it, and it helps explain that and helps talk about those things and. And like we said before, well, just just go depose them. Well, I can't because we're not in litigation. And well, so we're trying to work our way through this. And so there's, there's pros and cons to both, but just understanding the difference between the two.
0: Well, and where this comes up the most for managers and self-managed boards uh-huh. is when you get a lender questionnaire, right? Right. So somebody's buying a condo unit and they're getting a purchase money mortgage to buy their condo unit and the lender sends you managers a questionnaire some of you guys use a service called condo certs there are a few of them out there and they send a list of questions and one of the que- and and they vary ever so slightly from lender to lender but one of the questions is is there a pending or threatened special assessment yes right. no see attached then another one of the questions is is there pending litigation But sometimes it's not, is there pending litigation? It's, is there pending or threatened litigation? So a lot of times you managers call me and we're in this sort of interstitial area between when we know we got an owner that's really angry and they have a lawyer and they sent us a demand letter, but they haven't actually filed a lawsuit yet. Right. Right. Intervening period is very confusing for you managers because you guys call me. You probably don't call Jens for this, but you call me and you're like, well, Jason, which box do we check? Right. And I always err on the side of over-disclosing for two reasons. One, because you want to be truthful. (laughs) But two, if that owner purchases that condo unit and the seller didn't disclose this pending litigation to them and you didn't check the box, then the person that buys that condo unit is going to show up to a meeting three months, six months, a year later and be like, why didn't anybody tell me about this?
1: This has been going on. We knew yeah. there's a report date. It's in your meeting minutes. It's in your, you know, and then they, they have a case and we're seeing lots of that. Um, so
0: I usually say if, you know, if it says pending or threatened, say yes. Uh, If it just says pending, then and there's no lawsuit filed, the answer is no. But I usually encourage my clients to write a little "c attached." And sometimes I write this for them. I just say, and I don't name names. I just say, association has received a threat of a housing discrimination lawsuit by an owner. Mm -hmm. We anticipate that this claim will be defended by insurance. Something like that is truthful. Will satisfy the lender and. You know, it, a year from now, if the owner's like, "Well, you didn't tell me anything about this," then you can say with clear eyes, you, "We checked the box, right?
1: Um, I told you." Well. Loud and clear. Yeah. So, so then, then the insurance coverage side of things. DNO, I think everybody's aware of that. Directors and officers—that's the board policy. Master policy is the, you know, condo association policy that deals with. Kind of everything, wind, fire, storm, earthquake. You want me to
0: give the 90 second rundown on the test? No, because we're
1: tight on time. So I don't have 90 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Save that for a question. If you guys want a QA from those things. This is what happens when you invite a lawyer on. I know. It's like, (laughs) stop, stop talking. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And how does an umbrella policy weigh in for a board or weigh in for a unit owner? How does a, um, because a lot lot of people have umbrella policies, but we kind of think it's like, well, it ties to our car and our home and our whatever. Have you seen umbrella policy for liability claims? All the time.
0: Umbrella policies, sometimes referred to as excess policies, are a type of insurance that protects you over and above the insurable limits of your underlying liability or DNO policy. So, okay. if you have a million dollar liability policy per occurrence and you get sued for $10 million and you have a $5 million umbrella or excess policy, your million dollar liability insurance policy will hire a lawyer to defend you, assuming it's covered and pay up to the covered limits of the million dollar policy. At which point, once the underlying policy has been exhausted, the umbrella coverage will kick in and cover a million and one dollars to five million. That's how it works. Yes. And these are great to have. All my big associations have them, just about all of them. Yeah. A lot of small associations don't have them because they're like, no one would ever sue us for more than a million bucks. Hmm. But umbrella coverage is relatively inexpensive. Right. Very inexpensive Because it doesn't kick in until you've exhausted the underlying policy. So it's a lot of bang for the buck in terms of protection. Yes. Umbrella policies do not protect you over and above your property insurance or master policy. That's a different thing. It's only, okay. Umbrellas apply to liability. Um, gotcha. Okay, I'll shut up now, Jen. Sorry.
1: So the D&O, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm surprised by how many boards do not carry D&O or other type of board-specific insurance. And and it's just a cost issue or they didn't know they needed it. They just weren't aware. But as directors and officers, and it protects you as a board member conducting board business. It protects
0: you in your decision-making capacity decision. on behalf of the association. Yes. And when I get a call from a client, particularly self-managed clients, I go through a little checklist: Do you have yeah. DNO insurance? Do you have master policy? Do you have liability? Occasionally, I have a self-managed association call and say, "What's DNO?" And I say, "Well, send me your insurance certificate." They do. They don't have DNO. I say, look, I'd love to do your legal work, but hang up. Call your insurance agent. Buy D. Buy DNO, and once you have DNO, call me back because your money's better spent on DNO than it is on Jason. And I mean, it's that important, right? Because right. DNO is one of the things that protects you, directors, in your individual capacity from personal liability. Very good. I would not serve on a condo board that I knew didn't have DNO, because I wanna make sure that if I do get sued, I'm gonna have a defense and insurance coverage. So DNO is critical.
1: Yep, yep, okay, perfect. So we talked a little bit about the disclosure. Um, That first bullet, and it dovetails into the next slide, is who is responsible for making decisions and how are they documented? And I know you, you have this next slide, this is a matrix that you put together. But what what we're getting at there is who's responsible for making the decisions? And 95% of the time, isn't it the board? The board is elected by the association to conduct business according to the community's rules and bylaws and things like that. And so, so we see a little bit of this of... We didn't know we had to make that decision or can our manager make that decision for us? Can our lawyer or our consultant, they told us what to do. No time out. We're giving you advice. You guys are the ones that need to make the decision. And so how do, how do I make that clearer? And, and maybe, maybe you can, maybe you can clean that up in, in the next slide, but why is it fundamental that this is a first bullet point on this slide to you?
0: Well, so it's fundamental because a lot of times whether it's litigation or a repair project or whatever it is there's an argument about from the owners why don't i get to make this decision why mm-hmm. do you board members get to impose a twenty-five thousand dollars special assessment on me gotcha. the owners should vote on that right. a lot of people buying condos and they have a fundamental misunderstanding of who gets to make what decisions so the basic rule This is in Oregon and Washington, is that the board, the owners elect a board. Mm -hmm. And so that's an owner decision who gets to serve on the board. You may not show up to the annual meeting. You may not vote, but the people that do show up get to pick who serves on that board. And then that board is empowered. They have the power and duty to make all of the decisions on behalf of the association, except for a handful of really important, really basic decisions that are reserved for an owner vote. And that reservation for an owner vote will either be in the RCW, um, like waiving Washington's
1: rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: revised code of Washington, like for example, waiving your financial audit requirement or a budget ratification. Those are typical Washington examples or amending the governing documents. So the the owner vote requirement will either be in the statutes or in your governing documents. So, you know, typical things that take an owner vote, owner authorizing vote would be changing the rules of the organization, amending your condo declaration or your bylaws typically takes an owner vote. Mm -hmm. Doing a capital improvement, right? Jens lives in a condo. He wants to build a rooftop jacuzzi for the owners to use. That often takes a vote of the owners because you're spending the association's reserve funds not on maintenance, repair, and replacement, but on Jens' rooftop jacuzzi. And the owners got to approve that because they were paying into the reserve fund. Jens, you're being a good sport, thinking that that was going to go to maintenance repair, not Jens' jacuzzi. So,
1: um, or, uh, or add, adding a tennis court or Or adding like a or pickleball. Because right, I hear pickleball. the
0: kids love pickleball these days. Right. right. <laughs> so, right. But I have lots of clients right now where tennis courts are being converted to pickleball courts, and it's the source of huge controversy.
1: Oh, I didn't think about that. I won't
0: go down that rabbit hole. But um, okay, yeah. So identifying who gets to make what decisions is super important in litigation. Some associations have a poison pill provision that says that you cannot, the board cannot hire an attorney to sue somebody. Or sign a contingent fee agreement for a claim in excess of $100,000 unless you get a vote of the owners. I've seen that
1: provision. And, and that's that's me, poison pill meaning written into the bylaws by the original developer before there was even a board.
0: It prevents so the developer from getting sued later on. Correct.
1: Yeah. And so that. And there's uh, all
0: the future, kinds of litigation around the country prison. about whether that's even enforceable, but yeah. I do see that. And that's an example of a reservation in the governing documents requiring an owner vote. Yeah. So, particularly in these large special assessment loan deferred maintenance projects, the first thing you do is you have somebody analyze who gets to make what decisions, because you can bet that when you get to that meeting where you're talking about the special assessment and it's a lot of money and people are stressed Mm -hmm. out, you, you can bet that an owner is going to say, board, why do you get to make that decision? Why aren't we having an owner vote? And you better know the answer to that question before you get to that meeting. And even better than that, It's nice to have a letter from an attorney saying when the owner stands up and says, well, why aren't we voting? You can say, well, we got an opinion from Jason or from our attorney, and we're happy to share the opinion with you. And by the way, there's no threat in litigation. So you're not waiving the privilege when you share that opinion. (laughs) Bingo.
1: Bingo. So let's see. We'll we'll get to that slide. A couple more things I wanted to cover on disclosure rules. Every state's different. Talk to your attorney. Make sure make sure what what Jason's saying is is uh, is is uh, correct for the state rules. The transaction disclosure we talked about that of of the association was dealing with this billing investigation process for three years, and somebody just bought and sold, and the seller had no idea that this was going on. The board knew that, but they didn't tell the association. So the seller, when they're filling out their just, you know, Form 17 disclosure, they didn't know about anything coming up. And then, you know, people who just buy in are mad because why why did I I wouldn't have bought here with this big assessment pending had I known. But then the other side of the disclosure, the timer is always ticking. And so most insurance policies and or statutes and limitations have a one or two year timer. And so what happens is we'll give our report saying your decks are falling off and the board will maybe fight and argue in and a new board. And, and then they're still arguing. And all of a sudden they dilly-dally their way beyond the one year or the two year. And they call us back and say, hey, remember that report you wrote back in 2020? We'd like to pursue an insurance claim. And we kind of go, hmm. Well, we're not miracle workers, and neither is Jason, but to talk to him and see if your timer is expired. <clears throat> but I think you've passed that limit. And so it's the same kind of thing with the four-year condo act in Washington. Four years in one day, you don't get any of that warranty, or the 10-year in Oregon and 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 so on. These so are hard deadlines. Attention yeah. Attention to these deadlines. And so disclosure and deadlines. So anyway, let's get on to that next one. So this is your slide. Turn, I'm turning you loose. You're talking about here's the decisions that you have to have to do, and so you're citing some Oregon rules. O R S.
0: Yeah, but, and there yeah. are parallel sites in the RCW, and it just depends whether you're an old condo act, new condo act, or new new condo act. Wukaiwa, exactly. which mm-hmm. all the Washington managers are intimately familiar with, but yeah, spell that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, this is, you know, what I was talking about. The basic rule is the owners elect the board. The board gets to make all the decisions except for a handful of ones. Um, but this slide uh, is from a presentation I teach on how to uh, successfully conduct a large repair project okay. that involves a special assessment in a loan. And I know we have several people on the line that have experience with this, but the decisions so what I like to do is I like to write a letter and I say, here are the decisions that you're going to have to make. You're going to have to pick a scope of work. Right. Mm-hmm. Is it maintenance, repair and replacement or is it a capital improvement like Jen's jacuzzi? <laughs> is it, you know, is it uh, establish a budget? Right. And in Washington, you have budget ratification. We don't have that in Oregon. In Oregon, the budgetary decisions almost always a board decision. Um, imposing the special assessment or serial assessment, um, borrowing money from a bank sometimes takes a vote of the owners. Assigning, and the, assigning and a right to
1: borrow money, yeah. That and so yep. that's a little bit different, yeah.
0: Yeah. So the decision to borrow money from a third party in some associations triggers an owner vote. So I write a letter and I say these are the decisions that I anticipate you'll have to make. Mm -hmm. And I say board decision or owner vote. And if it's owner vote, I say whatever the threshold is, 75% of all owners, 75% of the owners in person or by proxy at a meeting. Um, And we just kind of go down the line. And then you got an opinion letter that you can share with an owner when an owner says, who gets to make what decisions? And I, as I do more and more of those projects, and I've I am sure you have some very good lawyers in the Seattle area that have done as many of these as me, but I've probably done more of these than anybody in Oregon. Um, The more I realize that identifying that issue on the front end is important because there's nothing worse than getting all the way to the point where you're about to close the loan or you're about to sign the construction contract. And then you call the lawyer and I'm like, Geez, I'd love to close that loan for you, but have you vote? Have you had the owners vote on this yet? And then your project set back three months. You don't want to be there. You want to we, know the answer to these questions on the front end.
1: We've had it on the other side where the owner, where one one resident comes back and says, "You guys didn't have the authority to impose this fifty thousand dollars assessment on me. I'm not paying." and I, that I get out case. and 25% of the owners all of a sudden sweet we don't have to pay thanks it's because you didn't have a vote i had a
0: case where we were about to start a construction project and the board had adopted the special assessment and an owner filed a lawsuit seeking a court order to stop work mm-hmm. because he said it was a capital improvement 40 year old siding um swapped out for you know, 2015 hardy plank. And he said, that's a capital improvement. And he asked the court for a court order stopping work. And we spun, we eventually won that case, but we spun around for a while and we probably could have averted that if if we had done enough work on the front end.
1: Yep. There's a, yeah. We've been involved in a few of those, helping helping the court determine, is this maintenance and repair or is this a capital improvement? And so very interesting. And yeah, that's- Well, Washington
0: has better law on that than Oregon, actually. And the reason Washington has better law is because in this case I had, the guy that sued us and lost failed to post his uh, appellate bond. Otherwise, we'd have an appeals court case on this in Oregon, but in Washington- you do have case law on what is and isn't a capital improvement, and it's better yeah. than organs.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, really important to understand that. Get that opinion letter up and have have somebody go through the documents and just really understand that. And we'll talk a little bit in more slides about that voting percentage because it's this kind of vote. So it's a majority. This kind of vote, it's eighty six percent or something, or one hundred percent unanimous. So yeah, good to know. So. Let's see, understanding. So this this slide was just, you know, pe- people get board members especially get freaked out about, oh my God, I'm going to be deposed tomorrow. Yeah. And I and I just smile. I've I've been deposed a ton of times. And I just say, look, it's just a recorded conversation in a conference room. And these days it's a Zoom call. It's just like what we're doing here today. This this Zoom call is being recorded. But all the the point of the questions is just you're just answering questions. What did you do and why did you do that? And so it's never as juicy as the movies. The movies have to make it juicy somehow so you wouldn't fall asleep in it. And, you know, being in depositions, I'll, I'll have 10 attorneys waiting to ask me questions. I've had attorneys sleeping. The other, other attorneys waiting to answer questions, they've fallen asleep in the deposition.
0: Or playing Tetris. It's
1: that exciting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so you as a board member, yeah, as, as long as you have nothing to hide, it's not painful. It's just, hey, look, here's, we had this meeting on this date. Here's the meeting minutes here. We talked about it. Why did you do that? Well, when a consultant told me to do this and we, we voted on it and it was unanimous Yana, board vote, this is exactly why we did what we did. And so very actually easy to get, you know, kind of through, if you will. Um, but think conference room. So then mediation, 98.5% of these, whatever the stat is of these condo cases get resolved in mediation. They don't go all the way to trial kind of thing. Um, mediations are, again, done in a conference room with a mediator. And all the mediator is, is I am a person here to get both sides to agree to a deal. They Oftentimes they're a lawyer, Oftentimes they've had mediation training, which is basically negotiation training. But again, it's not a big scary. It's not a big scary thing, and it's actually a process to it. And there's a process to getting this disagreement resolved, and we're going to get it resolved. Uh, arbitration. This is where the arbitrator makes the decision. But again, most are in a conference room. Some are in court, but. I mean, would would you add anything to these, Jason, as far as kind of where they take place, how stressful they are, what you know? Here, here's it's just a process. It's a guy in a suit that helps me figure this out.
0: Well, so depositions, um, mm-hmm. I agree with most of what you said. Although, you know, I've had clients be very anxious about having their deposition taken, yes. Yes. and the way you manage that anxiety is with preparation. Correct. And Correct. so, before you go into that room and the attorney representing the angriest owner in your association um, that's suing you before that attorney is asking you questions, you know, and it's in a conference room, the attorney's on or it's over Zoom, the attorney's on one side of the table, I'm sitting, I'm your lawyer, I'm sitting next to you on the other side of the table, occasionally objecting if the lawyer asks for something that's privileged, Mm -hmm. or, you know, totally, you know, beyond the pale, but, you practice, right? Like right. a good lawyer, like I'm thinking about the kind of stuff that the other guy's going to ask you. And I'm thinking about what the worst parts of your case are. And I'm anticipating that the other lawyer is going to ask you about them. And so often, you know, I you do deposition prep and, you know, mm-hmm. you talk about things like if you don't know the answer, it's OK to say you don't know the answer. If you don't remember, it's OK to say you don't remember. It's mm-hmm. better to say you don't remember than to say, well, I think it was this, but I'm not sure. Right. Right. Um, so you do prep. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally speaking, Jen's is exactly right. It's way less dramatic than in the movies. Uh, it's often pretty routine. Um mm-hmm. You know, mediation is uh, just where both sides agree to have a neutral third party attempt to resolve the dispute. Mm -hmm. And arbitration is like a trial that occurs in a lawyer's conference room or during the COVID days, we did it over Zoom, Mm -hmm. but um, it's less formal than being in a courtroom, both both in terms of the way the evidence is marshaled. And because there's no jury sitting there, like in a in a jury trial, you know, the lawyers got to argue about whether something's admissible. You know, Mm -hmm. the judge may say, hey, jury, step out. And then we argue about it and the judge decides whether they can hear it or not. And then they get invited back in arbitration. I have some clients that hate arbitration, but the truth is arbitration is usually a lot faster. Right. Um, Right. and then trial we've talked about that already mm-hmm. but that's really all i would add gents
1: yeah and i think yeah like you said prepping the witness and and we we can help our boards with training as well just you know here's here's what to think about here's how to here's some questions we see every 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 case has bad facts and so here's here's the bad facts if i were them i'd be asking about them so how do we walk our way through this and here's here's how we can we can talk. So to help you as the board get comfortable and just it's one step, it's one, one bus stop along the route. And you know, how how much of the time is the board deposed? I mean, is it 50%, 40%? Less, Less, less. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what experts get. So experts get deposed. We'll do the deposing for you. So anyway, all right, next one, staying out of trouble. (laughs) <laughs> and so these are just kind of my quick bullets, you know, follow the rules and the bylaws, including notices and timing issues. And, and we we we've talked, you know, giving you examples about this of, you know, you didn't you didn't conduct that vote right, so you can't assess me or you you know, you just called this meeting out of the blue, but actually, meetings require three weeks' notice and time. You know, sixty days and this and that. You know, follow your rules, and a good good manager is helping you do that. Um, act reasonable. That business reasonableness of the of the volunteer board member, um, just uh, and listening to advice. Nobody expects you to be a lawyer or a contractor or a consultant. Uh, but but you do need to listen to them if if they've given you written advice and you ignore it then of course you're kind of operating outside of that um communicate and share this you know don't hide i i cringe when i talk to boards and they say well we don't have to tell people this and i was like (laughs) it's not that you don't have to share the stuff share it hey we're working on this we don't have the answer yet we're trying here's what we're going through we're There's a process, it's gonna take six months, but here's the initial results of our investigation. Here's the report that we got. We're giving this out to, you know, or talk to your attorney about what gets disclosed, but communicate and share is usually the better route. Um, The the longer you wait to tear the Band-Aid off, the more it
0: hurts. And so when you're delivering news to your owners, and by you, I'm assuming that you're a manager or you're a condo board member, The longer you wait to deliver bad news, the more likely it is that in addition to being upset about the bad news, the owners are going to feel like there was some effort to conceal the bad news, even if there wasn't. And so the longer I do this, and this is especially true for these special assessment deferred maintenance projects. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I tell my clients, look, maybe you got a report, but you don't have a bid yet. You know, invite the consultant, invite me to a meeting to talk to the owners about it. It's okay to say that you don't have all of the information. Mm -hmm. What the owners want to hear is that you're working towards a solution. But the longer you wait to tell people that generally speaking, the angrier they are going to be. um,
1: There's a good, good phrase. Conflict deferred is conflict magnified. There you go. That's Uh, a good one. Yeah. Just talk about it. Um, Next one. Take the high ground as much as you want to clap back. I mean, it's just a, this, you know, clapping back and arguing and fighting only pours gas on the fire. Um, you, you you will find the community supporting you. They understand you're taking a few arrows. That's the job of the board. They're supposed to be able to have a thick enough skin to be able to do that. Um, they're not going to let you, you know, take withering fire but, uh, you know, try, try to just be positive. And I know that, that everybody has a capacity for that, but as much as you can do that, do that, um, have your lawyer manager involved, even if not in a claim, you know, why, why is a lawyer here? There's no lawsuit. Well, we just want to make sure we're doing it right and not ending up in a lot, you know, staying out of trouble is, is better than having an <laughs> ounce of prevention
0: is much less expensive yeah. than a pound of cure. That's yeah. another good reason. Yeah.
1: Let's. <laughs> Let's keep from needing to save the day versus saving the day. Let's keep from needing to save the day. Uh, you know, we're, we're working way ahead of this and staying out of trouble. Okay. I notice we're pushing up on an hour here, but we do want to, we are covering some good stuff and we are seeing Q and A's popping into the thing, but uh, Jason has agreed to, you know, answer any further questions you have and his, his email and phone number are found here. Phone is 5036- Eight four four one one one. reach out to him he'd be happy to talk to you so let's commit to covering the next couple of slides pretty quickly but you know they're up on the screen you can take a screenshot of them but now we're going to talk about the town hall brawl and kind of a before and during and so this town hall brawl is you know uh, you know the, the mean meeting and everybody's yelling and all this stuff But the before ideas is, again, back to this this communication thing. Communicate with lots of town halls before a vote. And and maybe it's not necessarily town hall meetings, but what we mean by town hall meeting is not a special required call meeting. It's a, you know, you're telling people, we're going to have a meeting on Friday night at the thing. We're going to talk about the thing. No vote's going to happen there. It's not an official meeting. It's just come learn about it. Well, but you,
0: you have to send a notice activities. as a open meetings requirement. It, it's it's official in that everyone's invited. <laughs>
1: correct, correct. But it's not. There's no votes here. Where we see people, and it's it's human nature to you know don't surprise anyone with a vote. It's human nature to dig our heels in if we don't quite understand this. And I'm supposed to vote on this in ten seconds. I just read it. Ah, I'm going to say no. So you know the other consider a door knocking or coffee hour campaign. And, you know, just, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to be out there on Friday afternoon on the sport court with a pot of coffee or a box of Starbucks and come on down and let's chat. And I can answer your questions so people can start getting this marinating process going of, I know it's coming. We got to deal with it and, you know, sharing information. Distributing information via all channels. You know, we we hear this. Didn't you get the email? No, you've got my wrong email and you've never had my email right. Okay, so mail, email, text. I really love the old high-vis yellow flyers that are taped to the front door. Maybe that doesn't work in your association or not. But, you know, look, we know you got the flyer. We know you got it because it was taped to your door. Don't tell me you didn't. Okay, so... Just really old school. Remember when we used to get pizza flyers under our windshield at the stadium park, you know, that kind of thing. So I had to take it off to drive. Where <laughs> where, where else can I, you know, put them up in the elevator, put them up in the, wherever the common elements are. Um, just understanding that you, you, the board, you, the board have been working on this for months. And so many residents are hearing about it for the first time. Understand that they'll be anxious and they need to process it. Um, understand that, the filibustering technique and what I mean by that is we need more time. We need another meeting. We need more information. We need this. We need that. Just understand that. So I'm going to be sending out the information. We're going to be having lots of town halls. We're going to be doing this and in that way, it'll kind of help those things. Do you have anything to add to the before to prevent the town hall brawl? Well, um, lots,
0: but I'll keep it short. So when this is especially true for special assessment projects, but it's also true for litigation. So, when you present your typical homeowner with some bad news, a big bill, $25,000 special assessment, people go through something like the stages of grieving, you know. There's anger, denial, bargaining, my brother-in-law could do it for less. Um, and eventually you get uh, to acceptance and the ability to act. And what you're trying to do with all of this communication, both before, during, and after the town hall, is you're trying to bring enough people in your com- in your community from anger and denial to acceptance and the ability to act. Yep. You're never going to bring 100% of people all the way there. You should let that go. You got to get a critical mass in your association to acceptance and the ability to act. And um, the best way to do that is to have lots of meetings and lots of communication, you know, in the actual town hall brawl, you know, the fil- this filibuster comment that Jen's made. I always like to end a town hall by thanking the board and reminding the owners, you know, these board members are homeowners, too. They're volunteers. They don't get paid to be here. And in fact, they're going to have to pay the special the same special assessment that you are. So Mm -hmm. when you see them in the neighborhood, go easy on them. And then the other thing I always do when I wrap up that meeting, you know, I thank them and, you know, sometimes people clap. The other thing I like to do is I like to say, you know, this is not the last meeting. It's not the last meeting. I'm going to be at. It's not the last meeting. Jen's is going to be at. If you didn't get your question answered tonight, we'll be at another meeting, you know, sleep on it. We'll answer your question later on because it, it, You know, people want to feel like they got a chance to be heard, and like their questions and their input is important. And you're diffusing some of the angst about, like, well, I didn't. You know, the the meeting started at six thirty and it ended at nine thirty, but I didn't get to ask my question. You know, you're diffusing some of that, and you're giving folks an an opportunity to ask questions at a later date. So that those are kind of my footnotes, Jens.
1: Yep. So the the ability to ask questions, and that's that's that be seen be heard i feel that I've, I've i've felt seen i've felt heard and that's what those open you know town hall meetings are now but let's go let's
0: not let you
1: can't let that one guy who's correct. got a million questions walk all over you for 20
0: right. minutes while 10 of his neighbors don't get an opportunity to ask their questions yeah. And i can, i have some techniques for that
1: yeah and so, so maybe we now talk. we're going to go to the voting meeting And we have to, so this is during, this is during the town hall meeting. So how do we control? We've, we've done five of these. We have one, one angry person or, or, you know, kind of strategies to control and, you know, just going down the have an agenda and stick to it. Here's the three things we're covering at this meeting tonight. Well, what about it? Nope. We're going to have a special meeting for that thing later. Tonight we're going to cover this agenda. Um, next, you know, we've got this allotted time for, you know, feedback. But we're going to have a sign-up sheet and a timer. You get three minutes, so there's 15 minutes for this. So that means five people, maybe six, maybe seven, if you don't use your full three minutes. But I'm sorry, we got to move on. We got to stay on that agenda. And then, then getting into it's interesting on the owners versus tenants versus media versus who's allowed into these meetings? I've seen media, I've seen, you know, all sorts of, I'm not even, that person's not even an owner. They rent. Why are they here disturbing this meeting? And so have that ability to, as they're entering the meeting, what unit are you in? Who are you? You're not on this thing. You can't come in. And you do Uh,
0: that with a sign-in sheet that you identify people as they're signing in. Yeah. And if it's someone's brother-in-law that doesn't even live there, you right. say politely, you know, this yeah. is a private meeting. Do you this own a, a home? Yeah.
1: yeah. Exactly. So it's all those other, you know, YouTubers, et cetera. Understanding Robert's rules and how to run a meeting, maybe having a meeting runner or a polit, what do you call them? Politarian or you know, Parliamentarian. A parliamentarian. Yeah. So big word, but you know, 30 minutes on YouTube, you'll understand Robert's rules and the basics and you'll you'll be good at that.
0: And if you don't, I've got a great handout that's two eight and a half by eleven sheets with a chart. And it's probably 85% of what you need to know to run a successful meeting. I'll email that to you, Jens, and anybody that asks for it, yeah. you can get to them.
1: Awesome. Yep. The um, and then you know, I'm gonna jump, let's see, understanding the vote. We talked about that. So what what do we need tonight? Do we need a majority? Do we need hand raised? Do is it filled out ballots? Is it so of course have those things? two-thirds vote is it a vote in the negative and what that means is if here's our approved budget with the two million dollar repair job in it and it passes unless it's 80 percent voted against the majority, yeah. a majority yeah that's a ratification is weird vote in the, the
0: negative is probably the only vote you will encounter where it's a negative A majority of the owners need to vote it down. Most of the votes that we would have other than the ratification in Washington Mm -hmm. would be in the positive. Um, But um, let me let me add something. I had this experience. It blew my mind. I was doing a large repair job, um, 20 owners. We needed a 75 percent vote um, to take out a loan. The board had the authority to do the assessment, but if we couldn't get 15 people to vote in favor of borrowing money from a bank, we couldn't do the job. Right. So I get to this meeting and I have a whole like sample agenda. I like to use, I don't call this the town hall brawl. I call this the meet the team meeting. Right. But, um, you know, first the board member was going to give a brief history of how we got there. And then, um, The consultant was going to say, this is what's wrong with the building and this is how we fix it and show some slides of dry rod and windows that were not properly lapped. Then the contractor was going to talk about what to expect during construction. Then I was going to talk about how we pay for it. We were going to take owner Q&A and then we were going to vote. That's a really good, robust agenda for one of these meetings. Hmm. But my client didn't like what I had to say about that. So what did they do? Board president gave, you know, a five minute background of why we got here and why you should vote for this. Then the then he called for the vote and then he had discussion afterwards. And I was like, why the hell would you vote on it before we let the owners discuss it? Don't ever do that. You always And this is another reason to have a uh, another good reason to have a timed agenda. Any Mm -hmm. owner that wants to speak before we vote on this is going to get three minutes. And Mm -hmm. we're not going to cut you off. We're not going to interrupt you. If you ask a question of the board, they'll answer it, but it'll be on your three minutes or five minutes, whatever. Mm -hmm. But you have you let the owners express their viewpoints pro, con, or otherwise, and then you call for the vote. Nothing sends a worse. Right. Message to the owners than making the decision or calling for the vote before they even get to discuss it. So, yep.
1: um, so yeah, um yeah, the, all good points, but all understanding this. This is going to be a voting meeting. We need an agenda. We're going to have some rules. We're going to have some announcements up front today. We're going to do the following, and we're going to vote on this. And here's how the rules are going to run. This is what the vote's going to be like. Here's how we're going to handle this. And all other topics are, you know, taken into a different meeting. One other thing,
0: if it's okay. Yeah. Your typical owner has nowhere near the background on the project that a board member does. And so I always like to give a little speech about a yes yes vote means this. And a no vote means this. Mm -hmm. If you vote yes on the loan... We're the board's going to do the project, we're going to borrow the money, and you're going to pay a serial assessment. If you vote no on the loan, we can't do the project in this format. The board can specially assess you $25,000, but you're not going to have this option to pay over time. It's going to be, you owe $25,000 February 1st, you figure it out. Yep. Sometimes, the practical impact of the vote gets lost on some of the owners in the room and i've seen votes fail because of that so mm-hmm. it's really important not to just say you're voting yes or no on the on the loan but if you vote yes this happens if you vote no this other thing happens just you know there's as a board member you get so mired in the details that you just don't lose sight of the big picture
1: yep yep and it's yeah. And again, talk to people who have been through these meetings and they will have tips and and, you know, again, your lawyers, managers and consultants just to run an effective meeting. Um, we've all been in bad meetings and we've all realized uh, if only we would have had this an agenda, if only we would have explained that vote better, it would have passed. And so, think about that, and and treat it as a pre-flight. I mean, just go through the meeting, go through the thing. Here's what we're going to anticipate, and and then you'll find it works really well. And so,
0: oh, always good to do a little
1: practice session, right? Right. And let's see. We'll keep moving here. So, real life scenarios. Um, you know, I kind of kind of did some types of the boards, and and you know, you've got you've got the controller board member. You know, they're the know it all. They're always in charge. We don't need rules. We don't have money for that. We aren't going to do anything. Catch me if you can. You know, kind of that personality. The I didn't know is a really interesting and kind of dangerous one right now. And half the time we see them as a super busy professional. They just haven't even had time to get their teeth into what's going on. They're too busy. There's no time. They end up kind of a, coming across as a at the wheel and they don't mean to screw it up. Some, some of them just didn't do their homework, but we're seeing a lot that they didn't have time to take on this board responsibility. And then you really kind of get messed up. Uh, the no filter, it's no document troll, total chaos, makes promises everywhere and stirs a bot. <laughs> so we can, uh, the, Penny pincher thinks lawyers, consultants, and managers, and even insurance is too expensive. Um, so just watch, watch out for those kind of you know red flags. Um, but kind of kind of our actions as we try to try to wrap this up, and we're going long, but we do we're getting a lot more questions in there. Get your questions into in the Q and A. Um, so here's how to stay out of it. So by you know. No communication or having lots of communication, um, having that transparency, making sure that the owners understand what's going on, um, you know, disclosing, staying out of that trouble, um, documenting things properly. And then, you know, it really gets back to this without a vision, the people will perish. I mean, we're going to set a vision for this community and it's, you know, here's here's who we want to be. Here's what we have to do. We've woken up and we have these problems. Here's how we're going to get out of it. And this is the way we're heading. And I know I know it might be expensive and I know it might be disruptive, but here's here's the community we want to live in. And if you don't want to live in that community, move out. If you don't want to pay the assessment, move out. So, well, the board so, sets the tone.
0: Yes. Because people tend to imitate what they see. Yes. So if the board is up there having a civil, respectful discourse, right? They don't all agree, right? Some of the people wanna do the job, some of the people don't, but they're not attacking each other's character. They're not calling each other names. They're not threatening to sue each other. Right. That sets the tone that the organization is professionally run. Mm-hmm. If on the other hand, you have board members yelling at each other, if you have them call for the vote and you know four of them vote yes, and one of them voted no, and then the guy that voted no, is making wisecracks and yep, yep. Um, undermining the decision of the majority that mm-hmm. sets a tone in the community so i mean it's it, it, you have responsibilities as a board member yep. but they don't start and stop with decisions the mm-hmm. the way that you interact with your board members sets a tone in the community
1: right and i think getting getting your community members to feel like they made those decisions Because you're leading them through this process, and that's really the really one of the secrets there. So, anything else to add to the kind of the real life things? We're moving into the Q and A now. I think the you know, I mean, we're we've covered a lot of stuff, and we're we're, we covered a lot of ground, maybe too
0: much, but (laughs) yeah. But it's
1: it's a deep topic. We want you to stay out of claims and litigation, and we and 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 most do. Most you're not you don't get too wrapped up into it, and so it's it's good to see. So anyway, is any of this sounding familiar? Give me a call. The uh, we've got a quick link there for you to set up a free fifteen minute call with me to get advice about your building. And uh, you can use the QR code, you can use your phone to scan that. But learn dot J2. on
0: Instagram, he always met, he always cooks something fancy in an exotic locale. My favorite is the episode on uh, radiator cooked fajitas. Um, yes, <laughs> I, had yes. to, I had to get my joke in there, Jens. <laughs> yeah, you
1: bet. The uh, yep, J2 is all over everything, and of course, you can search for me on uh, Instagram and Facebook and those places as well. So